Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. Hello, whatever time it is, if you're listening to this in the Temple Beth Am podcast. Uh, here we are with Rashi class. Uh, I'll say this again at the end of the class, but I'll start here. Um, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, I forgot already. I asked for people to share some thoughts about whether or not uh, starting when school is over, which is now over, people are ready to come back and learn in person. Uh, my commitment, at least for the short term and possibly for the long term, is that even if we are uh, meeting in person, that we'll continue to do uh, to do this on Zoom, although the focus might change in terms of just where I'm looking, uh, because we obviously want to include people who either can't come to the building or are not yet comfortable. But gosh, it would be nice to start studying Torah together in person. Uh, I heard from two people. Uh, one person said, yes, how come you didn't do this six months ago? And one person said, I'm not yet comfortable. So what I don't yet have is anything close to um, a sense of what the, the majority or plurality of opinions are. So please, if you don't want to share that opinion in the group, just send me an email. You can even do it right now during the class or afterwards. Uh, and if, I don't know, if if 60, 70% of the regular is saying, yes, I'm willing to come back in person, then I'm inclined to do that um, because we haven't studied together in person in quite a long time. And, and so much of communal life now is, is back to happening in person. Right? We have hundreds of people in the sanctuary uh, on, for B'nai Mitzvah. I'm not suggesting again that everyone has to be comfortable with that, but we're back to a stage in, the, uh, in our activities where people feel protected, hopefully because of their shots and their boosters, um, and, we're, and we're doing things uh, in, in real life. So I'd like to bring our class back to that, but I'm obviously not going to impose it if, if the particular subgroup of this uh, class is not yet ready. So please email me after uh, the class. All right. Uh, we have one left, one last Rashi to do on verse 14 of chapter five of the book of Shemot. Um, and it's a, it's a short grammatical comment on a word that we already um, dealt with last week, but Rashi adds one more uh, comment. This is a uh, Rashi does this occasionally, where he'll comment on the phrase and then come back to one of the words in the phrase to um, to explicate it a little more clearly on a grammatical level. You know, our instincts might be the reverse, right? Let's first let everyone know what each word means and then put the whole phrase together. Sometimes Rashi does that in reverse. Let's read the whole verse just to get going, and then we'll um, and then we'll go to the Rashi's. Um, uh, those who are texting that your your preferences here uh, to me personally, thank you. Also, email me because I'm not going to I'm not necessarily going to have a record of all this, um, and I want to not I want to not forget who said they're willing to meet in person. Okay, uh, verse fourteen, chapter five. Vayuku shotrei b'nei Yisrael, the supervisors. That's the word we've been using. We know it doesn't really mean supervisors, but the but the the, the, the Israelite supervisors of the Israelites. Asher Samu Alehem Nogse Faro, who had been who, whom the uh, taskmasters of Pharaoh had placed over them, lay more. Um, they um, they were they were they were smitten by Yuku. They were hit, saying, "Madua lochilitem chochem lilbon kitmol shalshom." Why have you not completed your obligation, your due, your chok, your rule, lilbon? To make bricks, kitmo shalshom, as was previous. We're not going back into the many possible ways of understanding the time concept in kitmo shalshom. We did that at length last week. 
גם אתמול, גם היום. Neither yesterday nor today. We dealt with the, the, the meaning of the verse. Rashi just has one more comment on the word vayuku, which is indeed a, um, even if you know a little bit about Hebrew grammar, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a verb constructed, interestingly enough, that it's worth his commenting on. If it um, is evocative, if you have vayuchulu, right, from the word kol, kol means to be all, to be complete, and vayuchulu hashamayim v'ha'aretz is in a biblical binyan called huf'al, Um, it's a it's one of the passive forms. So Vayuhulu means that the heavens and the earth were completed. They not that not that the heavens and the earth completed anything. They are the object of the completion being done by the silent um subject in the verb. The silent subject of the verb is God, right? So here you have a Vayuku. And even though we knew this, Rashi wants to make sure that we really understand who is doing what action, particularly because we have two layers of people who are exerting some influence over the actual Israelites. They're the Shotrim, the Israelite you know, kapos, as it were, and the Nogsim, the Egyptian taskmasters. So um, let's let's see. Uh, Joel, do you want to just read the short Rashi on Bayuku? Oh, hi, Rachel in Tel Aviv. So nice to uh, to have you. Um, from across 10 time zones. Hope it's okay. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're in a good place. I, I just checked into my you hotel like 10 minutes ago. Can't hear you, Rachel, but I'm glad. Okay. Um, she said she just checked into the city hotel 10 minutes ago. Got it. Okay. Yes. Well, now I hear you. Well, I'm, I'm so glad your priorities are such that um, you checked in and before you even looked at the view, you opened up Rashi Glass. Okay. Joel, Vayuku. Vayuku. Lashon Vayufalu. Ubu miyad acherim. Anokshim havum. Akum. Those are ku. So, miyaduku and then hikum. So, okay, this is in the language of Vayafulu, passive. Uh, Hufa, right? They were beaten by others, being the, uh, in other words, the uh, the taskmasters beat them. Correct. And again, if you're reading this and you're saying to yourself, yes, of course, that's what the verse meant. Right. And why would Rashi waste words on it? Right. Some of the commentaries on Rashi say, just lest you, particularly because the Torah is a, when you're looking at the original text, is a vowelless text and Vayuku is, you know, um, is spelt in letters the same way as Vayaku would be spelled. And Vayaku would have meant that the Shotrim, that the, you know, almost like a rebellion, that the supervisors of the Israelites smote. Whom do they smite? The very taskmasters who had been placed upon them. Lest you think that that's what's going on. Not that we did think that, but sometimes Rashi disabuses of uh, disabuses of a notion that we would not necessarily have come to on our own. Uh, no, it's passive um, and it's Vayuku. And in modern Hebrew grammar, we, we, we name the way we, we, the name we, the way we talk about a verb is we name what binyan it's in. Vayuku, oh, that's in Hufal. The way Rashi says that is instead of naming the binyan Hufal, he just puts the, the vowels of that verb that we're looking at, Vayuku, into a Hufal form as if The, the root of the verb were, were pa'al. So he says, vayuku, that's vayuf'alu. That's Rashi's way of saying it's hufal. Who's doing the hitting? The noxim. 
who are being hit, the Shotrim. We knew that. Rashi just wanted to clarify that. Uh, let me just pause there. Any, any questions or comments on what the words of the Rashi mean or what the word in the verse means? Joanna? If I understood what you just said correctly, you were reading this as a possible read of um, if it was vocalized differently, that the Shotrim rebelled against the Noxim. Yes, I was saying that, that 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 might be one of the Havaminas that Rashi wants to make sure we don't think of, right? He wants to disabuse us of that possibility. Maybe it's a it's a silent assumption, but right. I, I'm pretty convinced that Rashi almost always has a reason why he's saying something. And so if it looks obvious, then it must be that there's something else he wants to make sure we don't read into the verse. Because I would, without Rashi's commentary and without knowing that, without Rashi's previous comment also, to know that the Shotrim were from among B'nai Israel, not just like a lower level of Egyptians, um, I could, I think a possible read of this verse is that the Shotrim beat the slaves and that the Shotrim said to the slaves, Madua Lohilitem. So you really need to know that A, the Shotrim were from among B'nai Israel, and this understanding of the passive to know that it's the Nokshim who are speaking here and it's the Nokshim who are doing the beating. Tell me the first part of that one more time. I got the second part. So, so, so- I, I could read this as. Sh- when we get to Lemur, who's doing the speaking in this verse? It's the uh-huh. Noxim, uh-huh. right? They are the subject. Uh-huh. But I think if this verb wasn't in in Hufal, you could read it as the Shotrim are the subject of the sentence, and the Shotrim are speaking to the slaves. No, Got it's it. the Noxim speaking to the Shotrim. Got it. So I think we need both of Rashi's comments in order to understand this, and in order to appreciate that the Shotrim were not beating their own. That's great. So basically, you've done it. You've crafted a havamina on the other side of the. I, I use the word havamina. Havamina is the Talmudic way of saying that which I would have said, right? So um, literally, Haiti Omer, I would have said that we both do not want to think that the Shotrim were rebelling against the Nogsim and that they were smiting them, nor do we want to think that the Shotrim were being overly you know, imperious to the Israelites, you're saying, and and hocking their Chinook. No, they're the ones who are caught in between and they're actually taking the brunt of the Noxim's anger. Very, very interesting. Yeah. That that's that's possible as well. I don't know how to divine which of those possibilities Rashi is trying to convince us is not the right possibility, but I like that you opened up that as a possible possibility. Uh great. Anyone else in this verse? Wait once? Okay. Uh, oh, yes, Joel. I just wanted to comment that Rashi is him, himself is not vowelized, right? So I'm, I was just trying to explain an unvowelized by putting it in other letters. It could be V'yifalu instead of V'yufalu, right? I mean, it's a, <laughs> except when it says miyad acherim, right? Yeah, you're you're right-ish, right? In, the, in, in Rashi's own handwriting, we did not get those vowels. But by writing it out by yuf alu, that vav in the yuf in the in the in the yuf al, even without the shuruk dot next to it, tells you that it's in a u a form rather than a um, 
Ai, right? So, so, so your Vayuf Alu is just Vav Yud Pei Ayin Lamad Vav? Yeah. Interesting. Is that the Torah Chaim? I wasn't looking at that. I was looking at my other form. It's the uh, Art Scrolls. The Art Scrolls version of Rashi does not put the Vav in the Vayuf Alu. That's interesting. Hold on one second. Um, in the Torah Chaim, it has the Vav. Yeah, the vav is very significant for the very reason that you just mentioned, Joel. Um, how come I can't find it? Right. By Yufalu. Yeah. I mean, I suppose that, listen, if the art scroll doesn't include the vav, it probably means there are manuscripts or versions of the Rashi where it's not. In which case, I suppose the word huku miyad acherim become more significant because if, if, by writing the word vayufalu with a vav is dispositive, letting you know that it's in the hufal, then all of a sudden within the Rashi, the words, quote, hukumiyad acherim are redundant. Now, we don't hold Rashi to the same non-redundancy standard that Rashi holds the Torah to, but if we wanted to, we could say, why does Rashi add the words hukumiyad acherim? They were hit by the hands of others. Because it's maybe that even if he's, since he's also not writing in vowels, as you say, Joel, even writing it out uh, by Yufalu without the Vav leaves it as a uh, with an ambiguity. It's interesting. And Huku has a Vav? Huku has Huku has a Vav in um, both of the versions. I'm like, does your Huku have a Vav? No. So interesting. Well, then then the Miyada Kherim becomes even more significant, right? Because yeah. the Miyada Kherim has to come from a passive verb. Great. Um, all right, Joel, you're still up, and do you want to read the next verse in in uh, the Torah? Um, yeah. Right, and if we're really 100% precise, it's Lama Tase Cho. The word is Ko, but this is our friend Beged Kefet. Uh, in front of the letter uh, for the word ko, and the previous word it ends in an ahoy letter, aleph, hey, vav, yud. I don't see Rick on today. Is Rick here today? Oh, he is here. Um, so we'll, we'll, in a second, we'll get to what's 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 particularly interesting about uh, the word ta'aseh, and and it, it's, for, for grammar nerds, it's interesting not only in terms of it's being a unique trup, but then the system understanding the relationship between the trup and the word ta'aseh and the word ko, such that the hey of ta'aseh takes out the, the dagesh and the word ko. But we'll get to that in a second. First translate. So the, um, um, how are we doing, Shotre? Over um, the overseers? Overseers? Yeah. The overseers of, of Bnei Israel went to, and, and yelled at Pharaoh, saying, why are you doing this to your slaves? Good. So let's just fill this out a little bit, right? So in the previous verse, particularly now that we've gone through it with a finer tooth comb, we have the Shotrim in a terrible position. They have been informed by the Noxim who were informed by Pharaoh that they are supposed to levy on their own people a harder task even than before, and it was already hard. The Vayuku is telling us that they are neither pushing back directly against the Noxim, nor are they willing to, um, to push down upon the Israelites. And they were smitten, right? And let's add some reality to it. I mean, they, they, they were whipped. 
they were they they were beaten. And then the next verse, they take their case to Pharaoh. It's interesting. They're not taking their case to the Nogsim. They're taking their case to the to, to Pharaoh. They beaten down and potentially injured go to Pharaoh, and their their cry is not upon the people who are pushing down on them, but on the person who's pushing down on the person who on the people who are pushing down on them. Why do you do this to your um, to Ha'avadim Shachai, your slaves? Now, what do we think the tone or tone of voice or 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 what? What are the words not said but implied by the words lama ta'asechol avadecha? Why do you do that to your slaves? Because I think there could be several possibilities as to what's what's being conveyed, what's being conveyed in the actual scene, and what we imagine is being conveyed by the Torah choosing it to write it that way. What are they actually saying to Pharaoh? Why are you doing this to your slaves, Joanna? I think there's a possibility here that Avadecha doesn't refer to all of B'nai Yisrael, but the Shotrim are referring to themselves, right? They are servants of Paro in this position that they have. And they're kind of saying to Paro, hey, Paro, like you've appointed us to help you out in some way. And like, how can we do our job if this is what you're imposing upon us? Like meet us halfway so that so that we can help you out in the way that you're asking of us. Good. So that's a really strong possibility that the note that the Shotrim's turning to Pharaoh is reasonable and tactical, right? We would say in, in Talmudic language, even from your perspective, Pharaoh, we're with you. Yeah. We, you know, we're, we're on the team. We're on team Pharaoh. We're on team Noxim. We are, you know, we're, we're, we're hurting from the whipping, but we're with you. But in order for us to get the most out of the very people that we're responsible for, this is not the best way of doing it. So that's one tone that we could suggest uh, is going on here. Uh, before I call on Larry, welcome Deborah, who's joining the class, I think for the first time. Um, all of us are working out of different texts of Rashi. What I'm going to do is just send you a quick link to the Safaria page that we're on. Hold on one second, friends. Um, I want to make sure that Deborah can follow along. Um, so it's around verse 18, right? No, verse 15. Okay. So Deborah, I'm going to put the Safari link right into the chat and you can open that up and then continue to navigate from there. And then if you want to, oops, that was sent to Elon by accident. Um, and then if you want to continue studying with us, which is great, I'll give you a suggestion offline as to which book to actually purchase, but you can get most of it from Safari. Okay. Uh, Larry. Well, to Joanna's yeah. point, the translation that um, Arie Kaplan has is, is very interesting because it says the Israelite foreman came and protested to Pharaoh, quotation marks, why are you doing this to us? They okay. say. Right. So, so, so um, given your basic knowledge of how Hebrew works in the Torah, um, can you explain, like, there's an explanation for what Arya Kaplan is doing there, even though it's not the only way of reading it. What, what's his explanation for why it's it's okay to put the word us in, in exchange for the Hebrew word, avadecha, your servants? Because that's the way in which people often, the, the, the Torah is written that, that way very often. Your servant meaning me. Correct. And I right. can't, that, give, I'm, I'm sure that you can come up with two dozen, if not um, uh, far more examples of that. Correct. The, the 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 one that comes to mind immediately is the scene between um, 
Oh my God. Uh, Av- when Avraham is purchasing Marada Machpelah and they're each wow. referring to themselves in the president as Avdecha, right? Like it's honorific. It's, it's, um, it's very Middle Eastern. It's, you know, uh, you know, uh, I, you know, um, oh, uh, oh your, your, your humble servant is so happy to see you referring to one's self, right? So it really could be here that Arya Kaplan is just actually right. That what the Shotrim are saying is, why would you put us, who are also your servants, in this situation of trying to extract from our own people more than they're able to produce? Or it could be plainer. It could be, we're actually, we, the, the Shotrim, are not your Avadim, your slaves. We're on your team. Why are you imposing something so harsh on your Avadim? It's actually going to backfire on you. There's literally no way to resolve that, but that's an interesting read that um, Arya Kaplan does. Everett Fox does not go that way, or Everett Fox leaves it ambiguous. He says, um, uh, the officers of the children officers, interesting word. I think he's using that to try to connect Shotrim modern, you know, police officers with Shotrim biblical. The Shotrim of the children, the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh saying, why do you do this? Why do you do thus to your servants? And so your servants could mean either us or the people that we're responsible to oversee. I was just going to say that Alter doesn't translate that way. He translates it as, as your servants. But in, the, in his comment to the previous verse, 14, he's making it clear that this is, in fact, then the overseers the, um, who are the, the Israelite overseers who are turning to them. I just wanted to make a quick comment. Number one, I, I, I encourage everybody after the class now but before the class and probably for the next couple of weeks, we'll be on this. You have to go back, I think, and read all the, read the whole story before, and then go back to the verse. You have to keep going back because otherwise you get lost in, in the verses because it's right. a great story. Um, and I, I have to believe that there's got to be not just some commentary in the Midrashim, which I'm going to look up afterwards, uh, but maybe even entire chapters or books written on this particular vignette. And the one commentary I would really like to see one day is the commentary um, by the guy that does the comic strip, Dilbert, that deals with offices and office relationships, because this is all about the relationships in the very, in the hierarchy. You've got four levels of hierarchy here, going from the, the pharaoh to his administrators, to the, to the taskmasters, to the slaves themselves. Hmm. And I'm not going to go on and on, but one can go on and on about the way in which this works itself, works its, itself out. Yeah. This is, these are three verses kind of exposing everything that you could say, or a lot of things you could say about middle management, right? And the, uh, and the, the hard situation they're sometimes in, are they looking up? Are they looking down? And are they looking out for themselves? Are they looking out for the interests of the, of the whole institution, the whole company, or are they looking out for the people that are, that have to answer to them, right? And then these, these show dream are, are very, are very Dilberty. So that's, that's, an, I, I appreciate that. And if Adams, I just remembered his name. Well, if you're looking forward to reading that commentary, write that commentary, darn it. I want to, I want to read the Larry Herman commentary on this, uh, on this material. Um, Barry, then Stevie. Well, um, put more into context here, the, the, uh, the show dream, uh, they have been relatively light on the Israelites, not pressuring them overdue. And, and so they underproduce. Um, and, and now they're going to Pharaoh, why are you doing this? Um, either this is kind of two-faced 
or they're representing themselves not as Shodrim, but as B'nai Israel. Why are you doing this to us? Right. I, 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 don't, I can't see them as being two-faced. So they, they must be representing themselves as B'nai Israel. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, we can think about 20th century versions of this in the, in, in the Jewish community and beyond, where the, where the brethren of the ones who are most oppressed are called into horrific duty to be part of the oppression and then to figure out which of their identities do they, do they, do they present? What, what, what's best for them and what's best for the Israelites in terms of what hats they wear when they walk into Pharaoh, representing their own rung in the, in the hierarchy or, or representing the interests of their own people. And again, it goes back to, um, to when Moshe tries, is, is, is the first time figuring out his identity and what hat he wears and who he represents and who he's responsible to and what, what's, what's risked when you, when you, um, when you start identifying with the ident- the, with the identity of the oppressed. So there's, there's a risk there, but that might be the most moral thing to do. If I think it add also that there's this comments that uh, because of what the Shodrim have just done, so they're placed among the Sanhedrin. So uh, again, th- th- this is not two-faced. Yeah. They are of the Bnei Israel, and they're trying to reduce the the burden. Good. Uh, Barry's referencing a midrash that we read last week that in exchange for being able to, like basically putting their bodies in between Pharaoh and the Israelites, they're rewarded uh, with being, you know, that they or their descendants being the the rabbinic decisors of the of the Jewish people. Great, uh, Stevie, and then Rick. Yeah. Um, so there's often like intentional ambiguity and like, I think Avid Echa could definitely mean both the, uh, overseers or the supervisors and the population. And specifically, if you look at the next verse, skipping ahead, the word Avid Echa comes twice. The first time talking about there being no straw delivered, which seems to be referring to the slave working population. And the second time referring to the being whipped which seems to clearly refer to the supervisor population. So it, you know, the word Avidecha means both. Like it has to mean both. Yeah, great. That's a wonderful pickup. Everyone see, sees that in the next verse, the, the, the word in our verse, whose who's, uh, precise uh, meaning we are debating, it's almost impossible to read the next verse without the word Avidecha meaning both of those things. That's wonderful. We'll, we'll linger on that. Uh, when we get to that verse, but uh, I pre- but I appreciate both you and Larry making you know the pace of this class is that we're doing it letter by letter, and sometimes keeping the f- previous verses in mind, and sometimes looking ahead a verse or two helps clarify some of the questions that Rashi is dealing with. And of course, Rashi knew that too, right? Um, Rashi is actually quiet on this verse, so we're 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 pontificating, but Rashi himself has nothing to add on this verse. Uh, Rick, take it away. Hi. So um, I wrote to you about the Merchak Fula underneath Ta'aseh. Um, did you, you want to show people or to share uh, screen what? or no? Um, sure. Share what screen? The, I sent you the, the PDF um, about the, uh, the five of them. There's only five in the Torah, this one. That I didn't get. I got your... Oh. Yeah, I didn't get a I didn't get a PDF from you. That's as far as I know. But I, I thought I attached it. Okay, that's fine. So um, under Taasa, there's two curves 
and there's only five of them in the Torah where it happens. Um, and I really love that Barry said two-faced um, because um, it's a doubling. Uh, why are you doing this, Pharaoh? Um, and um, I thought it, it would relate to what Pharaoh was doing, but um, yeah, you could relate it to the actual um, overseers if they were being two-faced or not, I suppose. But um, I just wanted to bring it up but that it's so rare that it's, um, and I wish Rashi had drashed about it, but he didn't. So I'm not sure what to do with it, but um, the emphasis on ta'aseh, um, that there's two things going on there in the music. Um, sure. And the last one, the first one was in Genesis when Yaakov is bringing uh, wine to uh, Yitzchak um, and he's pretending to be Esav. So I like that doubling there. Um, so anyway. Right. So it, to make just to put a finer point on it, the, the trap on the word ta'ase is a very rare trap, as Rick pointed out, only five of them. Uh, there are different understandings of how it should be sung. It's usually in a place, the kfula, which looks like a double mercha, like a double, cur a double curve. It's usually in a place where you would expect not a single mercha, but rather a tavir, right? So it's it's here, it's after the dargah trap. So you might expect it to be lama tavir. And you can even think about the way it's written. What is a tavir sign? A tavir that the note that you'd expect is this curve. I have to do this. Yeah, this curve and a dot. Yeah. So this curve and a dot is tavir, but instead of having the dot, you have this curve and a second curve, right? Um, the way I was taught to do a kfula um, is it's it, it doesn't really sound like a tavir and it doesn't sound like a doubling of a mercha it's the own trap and it goes like this Lama which as rick and i decide uh, realize is very similar to the notes of a different trap in haftorah trap and and all these trap systems are are very close cousins to one another um what's interesting is that the way i learned to read a taase a, a kfula the music ends or resolves at the end of it. So I'd, I'd be laying it, kind of a stop, as if there's a real gap musically between and the word but grammatically they're connected because the lack of the dagesh in the word ko that makes it ko suggests that not only does the previous word end in one of the four letters, Aleph, Hey, Vav, Yud, Ahoy, but that musically those note, those words are considered to be conjunctive, connected to one another. It doesn't sound that way when I sing it, but the way biblical grammar understands the connection there, Ta'ase and Ko are, are, are united in the verse, right? Um, what Rick was riffing on is, is the, the name of the truck, Kfula, a doubling, is that in and of itself a play on what's happening uh, in, in the verse? And that's always a, a wonderful thing to explore in our minds. There's, there's no way to resolve it, but it's an interesting thing to consider. Um, so yeah, that's one of five. It's what, I guess that makes it the third most uncommon trap in the system. If you count the Karnei Farah Yerach Ben Yomo as a single trap, which happens once in, par, in Parshat 
my toe. If it's my toe or my sitting, it's my toe. Um, and then the Masa. four masa. Thank you. And the four pazers, and then five shalshelets. Uh, shalshelets. Four shalshelets, and then the five kefulas. Right. So uh, let me. Yeah. Let me. So um, that's great. So because there isn't a dot, there isn't a dagation. The cho tase goes with cho. Okay. So it can tase can go that way. But we also need a resolution for the darga. So tasa has to go that way to go with the lama, or else there's you, you don't have a darga without a resolution, either ravia or a, a tavir. You, you got to have something after the darga. So that's why I like tasa to finish the first one. Tasa to go with the next one is the way I do it. Tasa. But so I don't want to. I don't want to disagree with my rabbi. You can disagree. Rick basically invented a trup, which is which is lovely, right? Rick said, this is how a kfula should sound. Uh, and in a thousand years, when all of the Jewish people are singing a kfula that way, we will know that we were we were friends with the person who invented it. Um, but that's actually how trup got created in the first place. That someone said this is how the this is how the word should sound. Uh, Joanna. So one of my trope teachers taught me that that what you were talking about, that a tipcha is normally a break or a pause after it, but merchak pula is conjunctive leading into the next, is precisely why the tavir is replaced with merchak pula, because uh, a disjunctive break trope at that point doesn't work with the meaning of the sentence. And even though Darga normally resolves with Rivi'i or Tavir, as Rick pointed out, that clause is like subordinate to the Tipcha clause that follows it. Tipcha is a higher level break in the sentence than a Tavir. So the major break that we're leading to anyway is to get to the Tipcha. So one of my trope teachers taught me. Great. Now, I, I think that every, if, if everyone else on this class is falling asleep because we are we are we're so deep in a uh, uh, in, in, in a in a trup uh, vortex, um, we'll, we'll we'll get out of it in a second. Um, the, 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 another way of saying what Joanna just said is that even though the note darga da 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 on the word lama usually is is part of a Two word phrase because it ends with da 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 or da 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 da. The meaning here is that the word that has the da 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 is actually standing on its own. Why? And then the phrase is, "Are you doing this to your servants?" So that "Are you doing this to your servants?" should be like merchat tibcha sof pasuk. And therefore, the word ta'aseh can't have the da-da-da-da-da. Why are you doing this to your servants? And that may be why it was turned into a uh, kfula. We'll never know, but that's an interesting possibility. Stevie. Um, so first of all, with regards to trope, I, I think I do a kfula more like a tefir with a tail. So I think more similar to Rick than to you. But anyway, that's... Um, but what I also want to say is the structure of the verse here with verb subject verb object is kind of interesting um like it seems like the verse is specifically constructed so that vayitzaku like the crying is to pharaoh but the coming is like separated from being like to pharaoh whereas it maybe could have said 
or or I don't know, like there's other possible constructions you can imagine um, where the verbs are more or less adjacent or where the first verb goes to Pharaoh and the second verb, you know, is then tagged onto that. Um, and it seems, I don't know, interesting, deliberate to, because like coming to Pharaoh is, I think even how most of the translators probably do it, like came to Pharaoh and cried, but the, it seems specific that like Vaitsaku is the verb that's chosen to be attached to Pharaoh. Great, because you're saying that the El Paro to Pharaoh applies both to the Vaitsaku and to the Ba'u, right? In terms of what it means, for sure. Yeah. 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 Interestingly, so that actually, your comment um, makes a little more sense out of how Everfox translated it, because he's making a choice. Everfox translates this first, again, whose vocabulary is very easy. The officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh. So Everfox is saying the El Paro is connected to the Vayavau and the Vayitzaku, even though it's not constructed that way in Hebrew, rather than translating it as the officers of the children of Israel came or, or uh, came with like a semicolon and they cried out to Pharaoh. So he's connecting the two Pharaoh to both of those verbs. Right. The JPS here says came to Pharaoh and cried, which I mean, is correct, but it's like definitely the Hebrew is sort of constructed in a yeah, way to not say that. Yeah. Um, what did you, I'm just reading Larry's note here. If anyone, but the four least frequent, by far, by far the least frequent at 12. Oh, you're talking all of Tanakh. Got it. And then. Well, I have all of Tanakh. I have also broken down by the different, by, by Torah, Nevi'im and Ketuvim. But did you, did you do that on your own? No, 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 no. I, yeah. um, but there are a lot. There are various sources that that that, that, that do that, including even Wikipedia. Okay. I was only commenting that those four are so so much by far the least common, right? Because Ipazer is six hundred fifteen times in Tanakh, right? And one hundred fifty four times in in Torah, even though it's 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 Rick's favorite of all the um, of all the trope. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, uh, Tova. I actually just posted to chat. I've been trying to figure out what you guys were talking about for the last little while. And I just realized my problem was that Silberman shows it as a Tavir, not a Kefula. Wow. So that means Silberman would say there are only four Kefulas in the Torah. Yeah. <laughs> I kept looking at it going, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, I was, there, there are some Trump discrepancies here and there. I did not realize that there was a a, a trap discrepancy on how many kfulas there were. I, yeah. I thought that was, that was uh, unanimous. Interesting. All right. I think we have mined this verse for what it can produce. So let's go to the next verse, verse 16, particularly as Rashi says nothing on this verse anyway. Uh, Renee, do you want to read verse 16 by um, Tevin? Sure. Um, Lama? Uh, next verse, Tevin. Heaven and Natan, Anitan, Nitan, love the Khal, Ulevanim, Umrim Lanu, Asu, Vihine, Abdaham, Mukim, Khatat, Amcha. Okay, see what you can do to, to translate that. Um, straw was not given to your servants, and um, but they tell us 
make bricks. Right. Uh, and behold, the servants were beaten, and it's a sin on your people. Okay. So um, first thing we identify is once again highlighting the comment that Stevie said before that that word la'abadecha appears twice in this verse and apparently referring to different groups. The first la'abadecha refers to the people that the supervisors are responsible for, the actual Israelite slaves, that they're still, they're not given straw, they have to make bricks. And the second avadecha is avadecha mukim, your servants are smitten, which seems to be a reference to what happened two verses ago, that the um, supervisors were hit. Um, and the the verse is written tersely, right? Um, as all Torah verses are, but there, there are almost some missing words that you have to fill in. And this is this is continuing what the Shotrim are saying in front of Pharaoh after they had said, why are you doing this to your servants? Maybe meaning both us and the people we, we are responsible for. They continue, after all, Pharaoh, straw is not given. Ulvenim, and I, I'm going to add in, and but with respect to the bricks that are supposed to be produced from the straw, Omrim Lano, they say to us, that's referring, I imagine, to the Nogsim, the taskmasters, Asu, do it, right? Very, very terse language. And behold, therefore, as a result, hard to know what to do with the Behinei, Avadecha Mukim, your servants here, probably meaning us, the ones speaking, are smitten. And what an interesting phrase. Vechata'at Amecha. Let's hear some, without looking at the translations, let's hear some possibilities for what the, that phrase means. We know what the word means. The, the word chatat has to do with sin or transgression. Amecha is your people. What does the phrase mean? Um, I see Heather Fox says fault is your people's. Right. So let's put the translation aside for a second. See if we can work it out in our, uh, in our, in our own minds. Uh, Tova and then Larry Diane. Uh, actually, why don't you go ahead? Because I had to comment on something different, which I can okay. speak to Larry. about later. This one is Diane. So, Diane? so what they really want to say to Pharaoh is, it's this is your fault, Pharaoh, but they can't. I mean, it's it's shocking to me. This is written in a way, going back to the last verse, that that these. Um, Shotrim actually have access to Pharaoh is sort of mind-boggling in itself, but they for sure can't say, Pharaoh, this is your fault. You gave the order. So they're going to blame Pharaoh's people and hope that he gets it. And so therefore you're reading the Chatat Amecha, meaning since your people, kind of the Noxim, have put this on us to put on the Israelites, uh, this problem this problem is a problem that your people have created. Right. Any other possibilities for how to make sense of v'chata'at amecha, or even the, the grammar of what v'chata'at amecha means? Okay, so let's hear Tova's comment, and then we'll, we'll, we'll do a little more surgery on the verse itself. Um, mine was to uh, referring to earlier, you made the comment that the uh, two avadechas are sort of different, but when I first read it, one possibility occurred to me that what they were saying was no straw has been given to thy servants, to us, suggesting that the straw had been delivered to the bailiffs, to the overseers, who then distributed to the people. And so literally, you haven't been giving us the, the materials you previously gave to us to allow us to then pass that on to the actual slaves 
to produce the bricks uh, rather than there being a, a distinction between the avadejas. Interesting. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. But that. And does anyone want to hazard um, a an interpretation of the of the phrase chatat amecha that does not have amecha mean Egyptians? And I'm leading the witness, but can anyone squeeze squeeze something like that uh, out of it while you're thinking about that? Barry, your hand was up. Uh, possibly. Um, so I, I jumping ahead. Apologies. Um, uh, so the taught This is the first time that uh, Egypt is referred to as people of Havata, and uh, subsequently uh, begin the unfolding of all the um, of the plagues. So uh, this is like a court of law here, and it has to be brought forward what what the actionable item is, and and this is the actionable item. Hmm. They, they, they've sinned by forcing this impossibility on the Israelites. This, this is the action. Interesting. So even before the worst of it comes, we have the Torah naming the Egyptians as sinners, and sinners are are worthy or deserving of, of punishment. Interesting. Okay, Joanna. So to answer your question, um, this is another place where nikudot are vital because the word amecha could be read as imcha. So now there's a really interesting contrast because one might expect that what they would say is the sin is with you, Paro, but it's if the word is amecha, it's not just with you, Paro, it's with all of your people because, and it's almost like implicating Paro, I think, because we used to get the straw from all of your people's storehouses. So now that you're holding this back, Paro, be aware that like, not only are you making life difficult for us, but you're causing not just yourself, but all your people to sin with the implication that maybe the Shotrim aren't prepared to say yet. And that's going to come back to bite you at the end of the story. Right. It's as if we, if we, if we really try to imagine this happening and with the, with the, the characters in the scene themselves playing with the grammar and the and the and the absence of vowels that we as readers get to play with, as if they said the chataat ayin mem chaf, wink, 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 right? Like uh, there's a sin, and I'm not going to tell you what vowels I'm putting in the next word to suggest that I'm accusing you. No, no, no I, I didn't put those vowels there, but it, but I'm I'm laying an, an accusation close to you. Okay, interesting, uh, Larry, Diane. So first of all, I'm going, to, I'm going to vote for Joanna's comment as being the commentary of the year. I, it's just brilliant. Um, I had one that was similar, not exactly that. So we talked about the four levels, but now I'm going to add a fifth. So imagine that they that they said, kind of like the translation is, the fault is with your people, and your people are his advisors. So when you want to criticize a leader, you often don't criticize the leader, but you say you're getting bad advice. So as opposed to being either the Egyptians in general or the Israelites or anybody else. Right. So great. So let's let's use all that as a way to kind of jump into the Rashi. Rashi actually is focused not on the vowels of Amecha as if it could be Imcha, but on the vowels of Chata'at and how how that word is vowelized impacts its meaning. And then if we have time, we'll compare it to at least one other commentator on Safaria. So uh, Renee, do you want to read um, uh, Vichata'at Amecha? Oh, sorry. 
there's a previous one. Uvanim omrim lano asu. Okay, go ahead. So we may not get to the Chatata Mecha part one. Uvanim omrim lano asu, anoksim omrim, asu lano lavanim, minyan harishon. Okay. So, they tell us, make, um, the overseers say, make bricks for us. Like the earlier total before you had to gather your straw. Right. So here, I think this is one of the rare cases that all Rashi is doing is filling in words, right? He's, I'm not sure there's a great enlightenment intended here, but as we saw when you're translating the verse, it's tersely written. And the bricks, they say to us, do. Rashi says, if that seems like it's missing a couple of phrases, let me add it in. And he says, the, the, Regarding the bricks, the noxim, the taskmasters, omrimlanu, are telling us, asu, do. Do what? Do the bricks like you had been before. We knew it, that that's what it meant, but Rashi is just trying to, um, not even paraphrase, just I- I- extend. It's the same thing that sometimes, you know, when you're looking at, um, like the Talmud is also in very tersely, very coded, um, clipped language. And when you're reading not a commentary on the on the Talmud, like a Rashi, but an explication of the Talmud, like a Steinsalt, he'll just put in the words that will help you make a full sentence out of the words that are there. And that's not really commenting on it, even though every every attempt is some kind of commentary. It's just filling it out. So I think this is one of the rare Rashis where he's just filling it out. Um, it's possible that there's something else going on that I'm not, not picking up on, but that's what I'm that's how I'm choosing to read that. Uh, any any thoughts or comments on that before we do the chata? So they were just they were just asked to make not only the bricks they were already making, so it was just the amount that they were needing to meet. Say that again. The amount the bricks they were already making before anyway. It's just the amount it seems like that they're commenting on. Well, that the amount that they are supposed to make is the same, but they now have fewer raw products to to make them out of. That's to reach that amount, yeah. Correct. Uh, Joel and then Larry Diane. One another possible reading could be, you're you're no longer giving straw to your people or to um, your servants, and you're asking us to do it, not to make the bricks, but to supply this. Uh huh. Good. Good. Larry Diane. I just want to read Alter. I'll read the text and then his commentary. Straw is not given to your servants, comma, and bricks they tell us. Make, comma, and, comma, look, comma, your servants are beaten and the fault is your people's. So his comment is, there's a colloquial immediacy in the language with which the overseers express their outrage to Pharaoh, positioning straw and bricks at the beginning of the first and the second clauses. So he thinks it's really important that it's it's worded that way. Um, And it it, it doesn't sound like polite language. Mm. That's the point. Mm. Great, thank you for that, Rick. Hi, um, I had a question. Uh, if Uncleus would help us at the end of the sentence, he adds "alehon," I see "vechatan," and I see "amach," and then there's "alehon" there. Does that? Can you help uh, translate that? I, I don't know. Yeah. So "vechatan alehon amach" seems to mean, and the sin. The the um the sin is upon upon them your people, to to make it even more clear in the Aramaic that he's saying, 
that Uncleus is saying that the Shotrim are saying to Pharaoh, as a result of this whole quagmire, your whole people is in a sinful place. And 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 is that really is that really the stance that you want to take, Pharaoh? Something like that. Alehom okay. is Alehem. Okay. okay. Stevie, and then we'll see if we have time to read the Chatat. Yeah. I mean, Rashi is sort of pointing out that the word noxim is absent in the verse. And that seems to be say, like saying the the overseers don't want to point out that the taskmasters are like also Pharaoh, like that Pharaoh put, you know, shows them or, you know, empowered them or whatever, like is, is sort of saying like, those are troublemakers <laughs> and mm-hmm. like, we're your loyal servants. Mm-hmm. Like you've got, got nothing to do with those people. Right. So just like trying to, uh, right. Not include their title in their uh, complaint. Great. And this goes back to Larry and Dilbert and trying to figure out if we really imagine these show in our mind, the position they were in and what kind of political chits they have to bring to Pharaoh if they have even a audience with him and how do they use them and how do they use them to protect the people and protect themselves and to, to, to levy implied critique is really hard to do with someone who has life and death authority over you. Right. Um, so there, 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 there's a, there's a lot going on here, including probably some game theory. Renee. I was just struck by Everett Fox has a footnote to his translation where instead of, um, considering that instead of amcha meaning your people, that it means imcha with you. Yeah. So Everett Fox and uh, Joanna are on the same page, right? That the that the ayin memchaf can look like with you. Um, I don't I don't know if what Everett Fox is saying there. I don't remember if if there's a manuscript question there. Or if it's a midrash question, I don't. I don't remember if he's saying that there are some manuscripts from the early Middle Ages of the, this verse that actually point it differently, or if there are midrashim that say "Al tikra amecha," don't read it as amecha, but rather, rather imach, right? Um, it seems so. like he's just focusing it on the on the actual Hebrew literal word, right? But I don't know right, that he, I don't he's not referring back to something biblical. Well, I don't know if the some, if when he says which some read means some people playfully read it that way, or if there are midrashic texts that actually play that game. Rebecca Leonard. Yeah, the um, there's a footnote in the JPS uh, translation that talks about this, and it says here the English rendering of the difficult vichatata mecha takes the first word as a noun, a form otherwise unattested. The Samaritan tradition also understands it this way, but reads it imecha with you, as does Simicus, whoever that is. And the Septuagint and something else read it vechatata, you sinned against your people. Mm-hmm. But that yeah, even still, that's unclear whether that is referring to the Egyptians or the Israelites. Right, good. So if we go back to what Joanna said about how Amecha could be pointed and, and how that could be a, a veiled or less veiled um, accusation against Pharaoh, pointing V'chata'at differently is even more direct. If, it, if it's not V'chata'at, a noun, but V'chata'at, a verb, you, Pharaoh, have sinned. And what Rashi is going to play with is, is 
not whether or not vechatat is a verb, but whether the word is by itself or in smichut. Um, maybe I'll just set that up right now, and then we'll actually not read Rashi till next week. Right. So a reminder that smichut is the Hebrew way of saying when a noun modifies a noun. Beit sefer. Right. It's a house. What kind of house of it is it? It's a book house. It's a beit sefer, a house of a book. Right. And in English, you usually have an of in between unless it's become a compound word like a um a basketball uh, basketball court is not really a compound word but like a bookcase rabbi a bookcase, bookcase. A bookcase right it's we really it's a case of books right in hebrew that's called smichut and sometimes if the word is in smichut how the word is spelled and pointed changes particularly if the word is feminine right so torah it's a noun torah chaim the, the torah of life the Torah, the word Torah turns in Torah in the feminine, Torah of. In masculine, sometimes there's no vowel change at all. So, um, sefer, book, sefer kritut. This is what's this, you know, the, uh, the Torah's word, word of uh, phrase for a get, right? That you, you have to write a book of, of dissolute, of, um, disconnection. The word sefer looks the same in letter and in vowel, whether it's on its own or in smichut. But there are some nouns, even masculine nouns, that when they're in smichut, when it's the noun of something else, the vowels change, and then that will change the meaning. So what Rashi is going to do next time, because we're at 9.30, is say the second vowel in the word v'chata'at indicate, if if we can um, trust the transmission of this text through the years, indicates what the word does and does not mean. So he's not focused on Amecha, he's focused on Vechata. So um, I see from the uh, chat that um, uh, three people said they're comfortable meeting in person, although one of them is not going to be in town for a while. Uh, please email me and email me by today because I want to make a decision as to where we're going to meet next week because maybe next week is the first time to do this and maybe... Um, and it'll take, I need some time to set up the logistics of it. And again, we will be offering it on Zoom as well, um, but I want to see if we can meet in person. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.